You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Oh, that's good. That's a little nice murmur in the room. Welcome to church. Let's put this up a bit. My wife said, you fiddle with the music stand too much, so I'm going to leave it there, see how we go. Welcome, hope, uh, if you're new or if you're visiting with us, a warm welcome, hope you've got a warm handshake and a warm coffee in the foyer. There is going to be coffee after the service as well, so don't worry if you got here just a little bit too late and the coffee machine was closed. Welcome. We are well into our series called Crazy Busy. You can see here, Max has emptied out his study from home for the display here on stage, and we are into our third week in this busy co- uh, series called Crazy Busy. Now, we'll just get the title up there. I've got that, by the way, Hamish. I've got it, so thank you, mate. Now, we are taking these weeks, we've got a few more weeks in this series, taking these weeks to examine this massive issue in our lives, our crazy busy lifestyle. And the reason we're doing it in church is because when we are frantic, when we're overwhelmed, when we are crazy busy, we put our souls at risk. We're saying this at the front of every message. When we are crazy busy, we are putting our souls at risk. At risk. That's why we are talking about this issue at church. If we aren't careful, the evil one can use our business to distract us from what's most important, spending time with God and living a life born out of time with him. Now, last week, we tried to get below the surface, didn't we? Last week, we looked at our first diagnosis. The week before, we were sort of looking at the effects of a crazy busy lifestyle. Last week, we were looking at, well, why are we living our crazy busy lives. And the first diagnosis we looked at, we are crazy busy because of our pride. The reason we often do things, the reason we often have so much going on in our lives is because we fear other people's disapproval. We do things for, you know, not necessarily altruistic reasons. We want praise, we want pats on the back, we're trying to prove ourselves, we're looking for prestige. And we saw last week that the gospel completely frees us from living this way. We don't have to desperately seek approval from other people because through Jesus, God accepts us completely. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to make a name for ourselves because God's given us our identity in Christ. That's unshakable. No one can ever take that away from us. And this gives us freedom to objectively look at our lives, look at our schedules, look at our crazy busy lifestyles and look at it through this gospel lens. So today, last week, we looked at one of the first diagnoses. We're crazy busy because we're prideful. This week, we're looking at another diagnosis. Here it is. Why are we crazy busy? We are crazy busy because we are freaking out about our kids. We are crazy busy because we are freaking out about our kids. Children should be seen and not heard. No, I'm kidding. Children... (laughs) My my grandpa used to say it to me all the time. Children are a blessing from God. They are. Children are a blessing from God. However, it ain't easy being a parent. Having kids just makes our lives more busy, more full. Our calendars are just, there's more going on. That's a fact of life. But here's the thing. This is what I really want to get at this morning. Many of us feel like we are not doing enough for our kids. Many of us feel that we are not doing enough for our kids, and this is making us 
feel guilty and driving us in pursuit of the crazy business trying to get our children's fulfilment. Part of the reason this is happening, I think, is because of the current cultural moment we find ourselves in right now. It can push us into this just direction that is overwhelming to the point of guilt-ridden exhaustion. So today, we're going to attempt to expose some of our expectations on parents, the, co- the current cultural ones, what are they like? And we're also just going to keep it real simple. We're going to ask, what does the Lord require of us as parents? What does the Lord require of us as parents? So let's cut through the white noise, cut through all the opinions on parenting. And what does the Lord want for us as Christian parents? Now, I'm not going to get too involved with specifics. I tell you what, if you want to to get into some controversy, just make a comment on a parenting blog. Have any of you ever done that before? Or read the comments on a parenting blog. It is intense. There are a lot of opinions in there. There's going to be a lot of opinions in here. That's great. And and, and if, if I could just kind of put an umbrella of grace up For some of the illustration examples I give, there's going to be different opinions in this room. I am really happy about that. If all of you thought like me, this world would be a very boring place. So I'm excited there's different opinions in this room. But what we want to do, we want to stay away from the the real specifics and just ask, what does the Lord require of us as Christian parents? Okay, so my job this morning, expose a bit of our current parenting cultural moment and then ask, what does the law require of us as Christian parents? Now, okay, let me just say, can I just say a few things, caveat, by way of introduction. We're thinking a lot how to, we're praying through is how to present a message like this to a mixed congregation. So let me just say these things. This message is no doubt for parents in the room. But if that's not you, and you've already switched off, or you're just about to think, man, I just cannot wait for this 25-minute nap that's coming up because I'm not a parent. Can I just ask for your attention just for one more minute, just 60 seconds? See, I want to say that I believe this message is relevant to every single person in the room and the millions listening on the podcast as well. That's a joke. (laughs) Shout out to my mum who downloads the podcast every week. She's the one. So I believe this message, although it's on parenting, it's, you know, specific to parents, I believe this message is relevant to every single person in the room. Why? Well, not all of you, of course, are parents right now, but some of you will be one day. Some of you are grandparents right now, and you're thinking, how can I help my kids through this child-rearing time? Some of you will be grandparents one day, or maybe very soon. Some of you are aunties and uncles, and some of you take that job very seriously, which is great. Many of you have good friends with kids, and you're thinking, man, they are crazy busy. How can I love them? How can I serve them? Or maybe you're thinking, how can I avoid them? I don't know what you're thinking. (laughs) But I tell you what, even if you are none of those things, you're here. You're here today. We are the church. We are family. Therefore, I think we all have a part to play, however small, in the life of the children in this church. That saying, it takes a village to raise a child, is so true. We've all got a role to play here. Can I also say this? We need you. Can I speak on behalf of parents? We need your help. Parenting's tough. 
I tell you what, and as we're about to explore, it's becoming more complicated, I think, as we move into this moment that we're in. The expectations around parenting today can be ridiculous. We need your help. We need your encouragement. We need the hugs sometimes to say, hey, it's okay, you're doing a good job. Andrew Sloan often says to me, a member of this congregation, he's got kids that have now grown up and they're out of home and, and they're all alive, so he's doing something right. I look to him thinking, okay. And he often says, this too will pass. We need that perspective. We need your perspective. We need your encouragement. We need your hugs of support. We need you. So I believe this message is for all of us here today. Besides, you're all going to need to know all of this when I ask you to babysit our kids. Okay, so you're all going to need to know all this. Let me say two other really quick things by way of introduction. I know in a room like this, when we talk about something like this, a message on children and families, there's going to be some people who this message might be quite painful. You might have experienced some dreams unfulfilled in this area. Talking about this issue might bring up a lot of hardship and heartache for you. And I just want to acknowledge that and ask for your grace as we press on with this important topic today. One more thing. I wasn't going to say this, but I want to say this. Well, if there's noise, like babies crying and all that kind of stuff, I'm cool with it, by the way. I mean, I need to say that because my kids are the noisiest. But we have a parents' room up the back, but if there's kids crying and there's noise, we don't care. We're just excited that you're bringing your kids to church, that you're here, you've chosen not to stay at home, and we are glad that you're here this morning. So don't worry, okay, about the noise, please. Let me say this, I don't have it all worked out, this whole parenting thing. I, is that right? <laughs> Pip's going, yeah, my wife. We don't have it all worked out. We are, we are in the middle of trying to raise three kids under eight, beautiful, big personality kids, it's not easy, and I, I don't have all the answers. I'm on this journey with you. I'm trying to work it out together as a follower of Jesus. So what we actually need is we need God's Spirit to help us this morning. So I'm going to pray. It's a bit of a longer introduction, but it was needed. We're going to pray and ask that God will be with us and that he speak to us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we mean that, that we need you. Lord, we are all just on this journey of trying to follow you and those of us who have young kids or kids left home or kids whatever age it is, Lord, we, we often feel like we just don't know what we're doing. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd give us vision, you'd give us direction for our kids' lives. And we pray, actually, that this message would encourage every single person in the room that we might raise a generation of kids that lead other people in following Jesus. Amen. Amen. Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right things? Am I a terrible parent? Did I just jeopardize my child's future by flying off the handle then? Am I just making all the wrong decisions? These are some of the questions that sort of fly around parents' minds as we try to go to sleep at night, or maybe as you're stuck in traffic at the traffic light, or maybe when you're 
in line trying to buy your soy latte here in Mossman, you just are caught with a lot of these questions. And for many of us, we just don't know how to answer. What is the answer? See, the thing is, we all want our kids to be happy. We all want what's best for our kids. We want them to succeed. We want them to have the opportunities that we had when we were young or maybe the opportunities we didn't have when we were young. But I tell you what, figuring that out is one of the toughest jobs around. And it starts really young. It starts early. Even before you fall pregnant, you want what's best for your growing child or not yet growing child. So you've got to decide, okay, which multivitamin prenatal tablet am I going to take? Because I want what's best for my child. And then in the womb, like they say, okay, now when, when the child's growing, you want to talk to your baby because you want what's best. You want early brain development happening. And so maybe think about playing music to them. And so we totally fell for this. We put headphones on my wife's belly and uh, you, you, you guys did it too, yeah. And talk, talk to your child. So we thought, I oh, know, we'll kill two birds with the one stone. We played my music to my chi- our child. We thought, we are kill- we're killing this parenting thing. We're doing it right. We totally fell for that. And, um, and then, because you want what's best for them, right? Early brain development. You hear all these voices, okay, we're going to do that. And then the baby's born and then it begins. Then you're thinking, okay, we've got to get them on the right routine, Oh, man, we struggled with this, that when, particularly when I first came out. Let me just say, I think kids happen to you more than you happen to them sometimes, but you've got to get them on the right routine. You've got to make sure they're sleeping on their back or, or maybe now it's their side or maybe it's their tummy or maybe now it's sort of hanging from the ceiling by their ankles, whatever it is. And in, in, in the crib, there's, there's supposed to be a blanket. No, no blanket. There's a pillow. No, definitely don't do any pillows and baby monitors and all that kind of stuff. And, and then you've got to get them on the right feeding schedule. You've got to get them, you know, make sure they're having the right food at the right particular time, making sure they're starting solid foods at the right time. If you want to talk about something controversial, talk about dieting and kids, what they're supposed to eat, what they're not supposed to eat. Whew, there's some opinions out there. And then we totally fell for this when our kids were really young, baby Mozart. Have you heard of this? You try, you've got to play classical music to your three-month-old child to get their brain development really happening. We totally felt... By the way, we did all this with our first child. We had no time for our other two kids. It probably... <laughs> Sorry, kids. And then it's the decisions, okay, we've got to get them into the right daycare. We've got to get them into the right preschool. Because I tell you what, if you misstep in that direction, then you're going to set them up for... Got to get them in the right daycare, get them in the right preschool, of course. And then begins... And I think it begins much before, but this needs to be said then starts this horrible game of comparison, keeping up with the Joneses. Mums know a lot about this, but I think parents in general know what I'm talking about. Is little Timmy reading yet? Is he reading yet? Is, does this little, little Timmy know his colours? Because my two-year-old Johnny, he, he know, he's, he's got all the colours. He can read Ernest Hemingway and he, can, he knows all his timetables. He's speaking ancient Greek. Oh, little Timmy's not? Oh, okay. This horrible game of comparison will never end unless you get onto it. Then we worry about their schooling. Oh, my gosh, then it just blows up. You worry about their academics. You worry about the friends they have, the friends they don't have. Are they in the in crowd? Are they alone on the playground? Have we done enough? Have we bought them the right things? Did we buy them the wrong things? We're worried. Are they too quiet? We never worry about that, our kids. Are they too quiet? Are they too loud? Do they watch too much TV? Is it they're eating too much sugar, too much gluten? 
I tell you what, there's so much anxiety attached to so many of these decisions. This is where it gets a bit ridiculous. This is, this is kind of me, okay? So I think, all right, well, we're going to choose soccer for our, for our child, but what if I'm denying them a future place in the Wallabies team if I choose soccer for them? This is what parents kind of think about, right? And, and what about I choose my daughter to, to do ballet, but what if I'm denying her a chance in the Olympic gymnast team if I choose ballet for her now at six? It's crazy. You know, we decided our son, Josh, would be in the training band this year. He's played a bit of piano before. His dad's a musician. He's got no choice. And so we thought, oh, let's get him. I enjoyed it. We all enjoyed it when we were young. Let's get him playing in a band. And so the process for that's kind of different now. He had to sit what's called a blow test. You're thinking, what's a blow test? Well, let me tell you. It's when the conductor sits the child down before they start and he has them try all these different instruments. So they're playing all these different ones just to see whether they've got the right lip shape or the right sort of body strength to hold something. And then they send a letter home saying, your child has been assigned this instrument. So the sort of control freak part of me is going, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I can deal with this. I'm picturing him kind of walking home with this enormous tuba, like awesome, <laughs> great. Anyway, we got a letter home. Josh has been selected to play trumpet. I think, okay, I'm trying to keep it cool. Okay. I had it in my mind, no, 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 saxophone's way better. It's more versatile <laughs> because he can play at church sometimes and then he can play in a jazz trio and a jazz quartet. He can also play, this is, I'm serious, he can play in, in a concert band and, and another band and, he, and when he turns professional musician, saxophone's going to be, you see how ridiculous it is? I just, I think my wife stopped me and goes, Dave, just let him play the trumpet. Let him be eight years old. <laughs> This is some of the stuff that we kind of lay on ourselves. Now, I think this highlights a key issue for us today. You see, we put far too much expectation on ourselves for the little things. We put far too much expectation on ourselves for the little things. We often think, if I, if I don't do this particular thing, if I don't take this particular opportunity, or if I miss out on this particular opportunity, then that's going to be the thing that ruins their lives. And it's total rubbish. See, our kids, they're harder to break than we might think, and they're harder to stamp for approval than we might like. See, we assume their failures when they grow up, and they'll have them. We've all got them, right? We assume their failures are going to be our fault for not doing enough. And this is the basis of so much of our anxiety It's what's driving us to lead these crazy, busy lives. How do we tackle it? How do we tackle it? By making sure we're doing the right things. So what are they? Well, in order to answer that, we must ask ourselves a question we looked at before. What does the Lord require of us as parents? And we need to go to God's word. What does the Bible say about parenting? What does the Bible say to Christian parents? Let me say this. God does not give us a step-by-step guide on how to raise children. Now, for some of us, that's terrifying. For for others of us, we're thinking, that's great. There's so much wiggle room. I tell you what, there is a lot of room for trial and error, but there are key principles. So that's what what I want to look at this morning. There are key principles. So in keeping with just, we're looking at crazy busy. What's some of the opposite of that, I think, is simplicity. So in keeping with simplicity, I'm going to keep it real simple. My wife and I were up most of the night with one of our kids last night. I was in the shower this morning, this morning thinking, is this, this next two points I'm about to say, are they just too simple? 
I'm thinking, you know what? Us very tired parents, that's what we need. You don't need an eight-point kind of thing that you can't remember. Let's look at these real points. What does the Lord require of us? What does the Bible teach? It teaches this. Teach them about God and love them. Keep it real simple. Teach them about God and love them. Now, we're going to unpack that, what that actually looks like. But parents, remember this. Teach them about God and love them. Let's dive into our first one. Teach them about God. Now, reading read so well by Janice this morning sums it up beautifully, doesn't it? Let's read a section together from verse 4. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Deuteronomy is basically a couple of sermons Moses preaches to the people of God, right? Israel, God's people, come out of Exodus. God frees them out of slavery. They get to, the, get to the promised land. They're too frightened to take it. So God judges them. And for 40 years, they wander around the desert. That generation has now died. Now the next generation stands before the promised land. And Moses says, will you enter it? And when you do, will you remember God or will you forget him? And whatever you do, Teach these awesome things about who God is and what he's done to your children. Now, the unfortunate truth is we know the people of Israel, they didn't do this. They forgot. The book of Judges is all about how every generation forgets the goodness of God. And they go down and down to this cycle of whatever you do, don't forget the goodness of God. Teach it to your children. And unfortunately, we can see this today, this pattern occurring Today, in the aging churches around the world, John Carson said this. I think it's really true. One generation believes something, the next assumes it, and the next denies it. This is truth. Here's the thing, parents. We are not necessarily responsible for our children's adult faith, but we do play a role, play a part in cultivating their little spiritual lives when they're young. The essence of this passage in Deuteronomy is this. Don't sit your kids down for random lectures about God infrequently. That's not what this passage is saying. It's an all-of-life thing. Live out the truth of the gospel in an authentic, everyday way. What does that mean? It looks like Answering your kids' questions when they ask you about God because they have them. Let me tell you, they have them. It means giving them your time when they ask it more often than not. Often I find myself, Dad, did I say no, not now? No, no. I don't want, to remember, I don't want them to remember me just saying no all the time. It means taking them out maybe one by one and taking an interest in what they're learning at kids' church or at school scripture. Hey, guys, what are you learning? Any questions? It means being genuine. I think when appropriate, but... I don't know when it wouldn't be, but genuine about your own faith, telling them stories about your faith and, and people in your life that have been mentors to you in the faith. It means praying with your kids regularly, nurturing their little spiritual lives. It means reading God's word with them. It means letting them see you pray and read God's word on your own, using everyday occurrences as gospel opportunities. 
a few months back, we were headed up to see my mum. She lives north. And of course, as usual, we're running late. We're busy. So we get, come on, kids, get in the car, you know, hurry up. So we're in the car and, and we go this little back way to get onto the freeway. You go through this tiny little residential road to, to get there. You do a bit of a loop. And so I'm heading there. I'm in a rush. And I didn't see the signs. And I'm heading there. I turn into the street and it says, you know, road closed, access only for residents. So there's a road worker came up to me, and I'm just in a hurry. Like, I'm making excuses, but I'm in a hurry. And she says, oh, are you a resident? And I'm like, yep, yeah, I am, yep. And so, okay, so she moves the roadblocks, and I just drive through. Total bald-faced lie. So I'm driving through, and then there's another roadblock. So this other road, comes up, road worker comes up to me, and I can see I actually can't get through. There's concrete mixes and trucks. They're blocking the whole exit to get back onto the freeway. And so I'm thinking... I've got to turn around here. This is so embarrassing. So the road worker comes up to me. Oh, excuse me, sir, are you a resident? I'm like, oh, what have I done? I'm digging a hole. Um, I just said, no, no, I'm not. And I did put the window up and I turned around and I had to drive past the road worker. I totally lied to. And I get on the road and I'm just driving. I'm so embarrassed. And my kids are just laughing at me. (laughs) They are just laying into me. You lied. You lied. I totally did. Now, okay. I'll be honest, you know what I was really feeling at this moment? I wasn't feeling, here is a gospel opportunity. I'm just, I just wanted them to shush up in the, but in a rude way. Um, I'm just, that's what I wanted. But I thought, I just took a breath. I was embarrassed. And I thought, okay, here's one of those opportunities. I just said, you know what? Daddy just lied. And I was caught out. And lying rarely pays off. But you know what? I need to apologize to you and to God for that because daddy was wrong. But our God is a God of forgiveness and he has promised to forgive us when we ask for it. And we had a conversation. Use everyday life to live out the gospel. You remember that story in Mark 10 when the disciples are stopping the children and come to Jesus? You remember? He's too busy. Jesus is too important for these little ones. And Jesus says this, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. See, our kids, I think, have a natural warmth, affection and curiosity for their maker. Part of our role is to not put up hurdles in front of their little spiritual lives. And I think a lot of this means genuinely living out our faith in front of them. It doesn't mean trying to live out some sort of version of the perfect Christian parent because it doesn't exist, let me tell you. It means being honest, practicing forgiveness, and letting our homes be homes of grace, not legalism. You know, obviously my kids, right, are pastor's kids. And so I've got a a particular radar. I talk to other kids who are maybe grown up versions of pastors' kids, and I read a lot about it, and I've got an interest in this. And let me just say, a lot of pastors are doing a great job, and their kids grow up really well, but some don't. And I'm interested why. And one of the biggest struggles is pastors' kids, they grow up, and they see the disconnect between their mum or dad's public profile and their personal life. There's a disconnect. And children aren't dumb. They can see it. They can see the disparity between the two. And I get that. We want to live genuine lives of faith in front of our kids. 
Okay, teach our kids about God. Don't hinder their spiritual lives. What's next? We want to love them. What does that mean? It sounds pretty obvious. I mean, gosh, but let's dive in and figure out what that means. It means four things. We're going to go through them real brief. It actually starts with being thankful for our kids. Psalm 127 verses 3 to 5 tells us that children are a blessing and we've got to be thankful for them. Now, I know we kind of joke around a lot about our kids and, oh, it's tough being a parent, but it is a joy and it is a privilege. It is a noble task. Parents, when we are struggling, I think we need to encourage each other to remember that they are a gift. We must be thankful for them. What does God require of us? Remember, that's what we're asking. What does God require of us? Teach them about him. Don't hinder their spiritual lives. Love them. That looks like being thankful. I think what next means we've got to discipline them. Loving them equals disciplining them. Now, there aren't many more controversial verses than this. Let me stick it up there. Do not, with Proverbs 23, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. That needs no explanation. I'm just going to leave that up there. (laughs) I tell you what, there is not many more controversial things than this. I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of this, but let me say, the way we have disciplined has most likely changed over the millennia since this was written, but the fact that we must discipline as not. Say that again, the way we've disciplined most likely change, but the fact that we need to discipline is not. Part of loving our kids means teaching them right from wrong. We just cannot get away from this as Christian parents. It's not talking about a rigid legalism, of course, but we do our kids no favours when we can't tell them no. There's going to be lots of different styles of parenting. This is going to look really different in different people's homes. And like I said before, that's good. But the principle remains true. It's our responsibility to do the difficult thing of holding the line and putting boundaries in place for our kids. What else does it mean to love our kids? It means being thankful. It means disciplining. It also means praying for them. Philippians 4, 6 says this and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds In Christ Jesus. Now, this verse is not explicitly about kids, but any parent will know kids can breed their fair share of anxiety in us. Am I right? Pray for your kids. Pray for your kids. Pray for your kids. Put them in God's hands. Learn what it means to put them in God's hands. Trust Him with their future, trust Him with their present. Learn to fight for their souls. I I think this is a big part of loving them. And finally, be thankful, discipline them, pray for them, and don't exasperate them. What does that mean? Ephesians uh, 6.4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I think this this means parents, but maybe fathers struggle with this more. I'm not sure. It's the role and responsibility of mums and dads to bring up our kids in training and instruction of the Lord. But here's the thing. There's a wrong way to go about it. There's a wrong way. There's a way of going about that that does not produce fruit in our kids. 
by exasperating our kids. Now, what does that mean? It means frustrating, annoying, provoking to, ang- to anger. Now, we've got, it's not one size fits all with kids. We've got to take into account who our kids are. And this verse often comes to mind when I'm, I'm trying to discipline my kids and I'm just, or we're trying to take a line of something with our kids and it worked with one, but it's not working with the other. And I'm just trying and I'm, I'm pressing and I'm thinking, is this producing fruit in their life? And part of me just thinks, oh, I, I don't have time to think about that. It's just they must obey me. They must do this because, and maybe what's at play actually is more pride than actually the view of wanting to produce spiritual fruit in my kids' lives. Not an easy one. We've got to take the time to get to know our kids, figuring out what breeds frustration. I'm not talking about giving into tantrums or anything like that. I'm talking about what produces spiritual fruit in our kids' lives as we train them in the instruction of the Lord. Okay. How are we feeling? Feeling good? We'll finish in a moment. Yeah, so many of us are asking, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough for my kids? How do we answer it? We've got to take that question to God, don't we? We've got to keep it simple. Teach them about him. Love them in those practical ways. But here's the truth. We are going to make mistakes. And the good news is our God is a God of grace, and he loves our kids more than we could ever love them. Let me finish with this. I, uh, I didn't have the perfect childhood by any stretch of the imagination. You know, my dad walked out on our family uh, when I was seven, when I was just a bit about the age of my eldest son or a bit younger, and he was rarely in my life. And when he was, it wasn't great. Stirred up a lot of emotional stuff. It was pretty tough, far from ideal. And because of that, my mum had to work a pretty tough job, a very tiring job, and at home she was often tired. You know, I organised my own lifts to my sporting games, and there was almost no one present at my sporting games. It was probably good because I was a terrible sportsman. <laughs> saved me lots of embarrassment. There was almost always no one there to watch. You know, there wasn't always someone there to watch my choir performances or my musical performances either. Although my grandparents and my mum, they did an amazing job with what they could do. You know, one parent on three kids is tough, and there wasn't always enough of mum to go around. I'll be honest with you, those, those of you who know me will know this, I still don't eat my greens. I, pff, I don't. I don't think mum had the effort to kind of make me. I watched a lot of TV growing up. I played a lot of video games. You know, I don't ever remember getting that talk from my mum, you know, birds and bees, uh, or, or an adult anyway, and I worked it out with my mates. You know... In my house, there were lots of fights. Not lots, there were a good amount of disagreements. And I was a pretty tough kid to raise. I got my fair share of hidings, and I probably deserved every single one of them. I have, my nan is 97 right now, and she's really on the decline, but I remember her as a fit 70-something-year-old chasing me around the house with this stick. I mean, she used to just, <laughs> whoo She was a tough lady, man. She, I remember it, I probably deserved all of those hidings. You know, my mum... I love her. She, she, she went different. She's not the most demonstrative person. There weren't a lot of I love yous in the home. And there weren't a lot of cuddles. 
you know, weren't a lot of hugs and weren't a lot of I love yous. But I knew without any shadow of a doubt that I was loved, and so did my siblings, because of her unbelievable commitment to us. We never went without. I don't know how she did it. I knew without any shadow of a doubt that I was loved unconditionally, and if I ever wondered, I would look at what she was doing for our family. I also clearly knew without any shadow of a doubt that there was a God who loved me and who had promised to take care of the fatherless. My mum made that very clear from a young age. You know, my mum put on a really strong front to us kids when we were growing up. You can understand it, right? I knew she found it hard, especially when I got older. I know she struggled with the weight of raising three kids on her own. Who wouldn't? Who doesn't struggle with the weight of parenting? But there is someone who can take the weight for us. Doesn't mean we're not going to have the daily struggles of parenting, but it does mean we're not in it alone. Parents, we have a perfect heavenly father. Point them to him. You are not your child's saviour. You are never meant to be and you are not. Point them to Jesus. Yes, being a mum or a dad is a high calling, but you are not Jesus. Hand them over to him. Can I ask church family, will you help us in this? Will you help us nurture our children in this way? You know, I'm not going to get everything right. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm going to disappoint my kids at times. I'm going to let them down, but I do want them one day to look back and say this. I'm not sure my parents knew what they were doing, but I know two things. They loved me unconditionally, and they loved Jesus, and they pointed me to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We will never love our kids as perfectly as you have loved us. Lord, we want to seek to do that in your name. We ask that our homes would be homes of grace and not legalism. Help us to live out authentic lives in front of our kids. And when we make mistakes, Help us to be real and honest when appropriate and point our kids to you. Father, talking about a message like this, this morning there's no doubt going to be emotions brought to the surface for a lot of people. And I ask that you would right now minister to the people in this room. Maybe, like I said before, there's dreams unfulfilled, there's pain, there's, there's fear of mistakes that have been made. There's fear of what lies ahead. There's guilt for maybe what has happened. We ask that we would bring it to the foot of the cross this morning. We are not our kids' saviour, but we can point them to you. And we ask that you'd help us do that with clarity. Lord, we pray that we just fight the cultural moment which is saying, do more for your kids, that's the answer. Honestly, that's driving us to crazy business Maybe we need to cut out half of it and just spend time with our kids. I don't know what it is for each one of us, but I ask that you would apply these truths to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.